Good morning. If you have been here the last few weeks, you know that we have been walking through the book of Joshua. And we are going to continue to do that today uh, with our series entitled uh, Strong and Courageous. Uh, because if we learn anything from the book of Joshua, uh, we see the just the, the everyday life, uh, just the challenges that the people uh, in that book uh, face, similar to what we face every day in our own way. And it takes a little strength and it takes a little courage uh, to deal with it and to be the people that God has called us to be. And so today we're going to look at, at the life of Caleb. Now Caleb is not someone that when we think of biblical characters, uh, he is not someone that we think is uh, a very significant character. Uh, but today we are going to, to look at his life, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about him, and, and I am going to try to do it with the energy and the vigor and the forcefulness that the bishop did yesterday in the royal wedding. Now, I don't know how many of you watched the royal wedding yesterday, but we did house. Um, I don't know that Lori Guy has ever gotten up before 6 a.m. <laughs> but you rest assured, yesterday morning at 5.55 a.m., her alarm went off and my complaining began. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, this is for... You watching the NFL draft two weekends ago. This is for all the football that I have to watch, all the basketball that I've had to watch. And I just mumbled something and rolled back over. But I did catch all of the, the commentary yesterday on, on the, what the English people thought of the American pastor giving that sermon. And just, you know, that was not typical for them. And so to see them and hear them try to come up with the words to describe something like that was, I found, pretty funny. Now, what does that have to do with what I'm talking about this morning? Absolutely nothing, but I thought I would share that. So anyway, we're going to move on, and our verses for today come from Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 15. But before we look at, at these verses too in depth, we need, to, we need to learn a little bit about where Caleb comes on the scene. Because if we don't know about Caleb and his, his, previous, his, his previ previous experience with the Lord, this, this isn't going to, to matter a whole lot or, or you're not going to see the impact uh, from, from these verses. And so we, we, we get introduced uh, to Caleb in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, and you may remember that, that the Lord tells Moses, hey, send 12 men, 12 scouts into the promised land and let them see the land. And so Moses follows that and he sends 12 men, one from each tribe, to go into the land, scout the land, come back and tell him and tell the people what they see. And so they do. They go into the land, if you, if you remember, and they look at it, and they see, they scout it out, they see what's all there, and they come back, and they report to the people, and, and do you remember what happens? Joshua and Caleb, 
give the report, they say, this land is, is flowing with, with milk and honey. It is as great as the Lord has promised. Let's go. Let's, let's live there. Let's dwell there. And the other ten say, no, 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 no. No, too dangerous. The people there are too difficult to overcome. They're too difficult to defeat. There's giants. It's too tough. And they disobeyed the Lord. They didn't, they didn't trust the Lord. They didn't follow His leadership. They did not follow His command. And so what happened? God said, hey, I will punish your people. I will punish the people. And you will stay right where you are. And he said, but for Joshua and Caleb, your reward is coming because you were faithful. You trusted me. You obeyed me. You, were, you did what I called you to do. And so that brings us to the verses that we're going to focus on. Verse 6, the descendants approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinzonite, said to him, You know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God, at the man of God, he was four servants sent from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land. And I brought back an honest report. My brothers, who went with me caused people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord, my God, completely. On that day, Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, completely. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years, as he promised. Since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness, here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily tasks is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day. Because you heard then that the Achim are there, as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me. And I will drive them out, as the Lord promised. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron still belongs to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, as an inheritance today, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, completely. Hebron's name used to, Hebron's name used to be Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. After this... The land had rest from war. What we see here is Caleb stepping up in the midst of what was a, a pretty, pretty interesting situation. Because what we find in the, in the previous chapters of, of Joshua is, is there's really kind of a, a, they're dividing up land. And they're, doing, they're using what they call lots. To, to figure out who gets what land. Now, if you know anything about how they use lots, 
It was basically just a, a game of chance. You know, now, people at that time, they, they thought it was a providential chance, meaning that they thought that God had his hand on the lots and that whatever happened, that was, that was God's plan. And so in the midst of this, the people of Judah, Caleb's people, say, hold on, hold on, hold on, Joshua, let, let us remind you, remember what happened that day when, when you and I, when, when we were the only ones that, that stood up and, and we, were the only way, well, we were the only ones that obeyed God? Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And the Lord promised us that one day we, I, I, would, I would be rewarded for my faithfulness with, with my land of, of my choosing? Yeah, yeah, I, re I remember that. Well, well here, here, here's what I want, Joshua. I want, I want this land over here because it is still heavily fortified. It is still being occupied. And yes, Joshua, I know that I am 85 years old. Like, I am, I am well with, within the experience of life. I am, I am 85 years old. But Joshua, I have as much fight in me today as I did 45 years ago. Because I know that the Lord is on my side. And I trust him to be with me. And so give me this land and allow me to go take on those people. Because I will defeat them. And that land will be mine. That land will be our people. You see, Joshua, or Caleb, again, was 85 years old. He had served the Lord. He had done all that he was asked to up until that point. But his life wasn't over. And neither was his service to God. You see, Caleb was a servant. He was loyal. He was dedicated. He was a finisher. Now, when I think of Caleb... There's, there's one illustration that easily comes to my mind. And as I've been studying Caleb, I thought, I can't share the story of Caleb today without sharing this particular story. The greatest example that I know personally as, as a Caleb, as a modern-day Caleb, was Lori's father, Mr. Van Beer. You see, in April of 2015, he was diagnosed with, with melanoma cancer for, for the third time. And if you know anything about melanoma, it's, it's, not, it's not very treatable. It's not curable. 
And so to survive melanoma once, the, the stats are, are pretty small. To survive it twice, it's almost non-existent. And they told him when he got it the third time that there really aren't any stats because people usually don't live to get it the third time. And so in April of 2015, he's diagnosed with melanoma for the third time. Now this is a man that has given pretty much his entire life to serving the Lord. He raised seven children. He taught part-time at a university in Indianapolis. And he basically, with the help of, of several others, grew a church from zero to a little over 200. He loved the Lord. And so when he got, basically, when he got his, his death wish, it would have been very easy to stop, to shut down. But he didn't. He committed the rest of his days to growing his church, to strengthening his church, to making sure that the pastors that would be taking over for him, that they were equipped that they were ready whenever the day came for them to take over the reins, that they were going to be ready to take over. And he began writing. And he began studying in a much deeper level than he had before. And he passed away in December of 2016. They only gave him, in April of 2015, they only gave him a couple of months, but he made it to December of 2016. And in October of 2016, he had, if you knew him, it was almost like this out-of-body experience. He had this energy, like he was not one that would talk on the phone very long, like, if you got him on the phone, it was like a minute, and that was it. Like, he was very direct, and like, he would tell you what you needed to know, and then that, that, that would be done. But in October of 2016, like, you couldn't get him off the phone. Like, he talked, and he talked, and he talked. But at the same time, the Lord had given him an opportunity to put all of these thoughts that he had together and begin to put them on paper and so he began writing a paper called Seven Lessons from the Valley. Basically, he was walking through his valley of death. And he wanted to share with others what he was experiencing. And I want to share those with you this morning. He said, number one, our days are numbered but we don't know the count. Number two, for the Christian, there are no bad outcomes, but there are difficult journeys. Number three, 
It is a solidary journey. But don't walk it alone. Number four, walk with a smile. You have a unique opportunity to lift other spirits. Number five, pray with an open hand and pray with confidence. Number six, build your bucket list relationally. And number seven, put your hope in a living Savior. You see, this came to mind when I was studying the life of Caleb. Because when you look at Caleb, he shared these same seven characteristics. When you look at the life of Joshua and the life of Paul and the life of Moses, they all lived by these seven points. And so I thought it was important to share these with you today. Now, I want to tie what we've talked about so far, I want to tie it together. So for you that are part of the older generations of our church, now, I love my job, and I love being at Carterville, so I'm going to leave that up to you to figure out what is older and what is younger. I am not going to, to classify that for you. But older generations, keep going. When you retire from work, you do not retire from ministry. We have a set amount of days on this earth. Let's make them count. Leave your family, your church, your neighborhood, your community in the best shape that you can. Find young people. Team up with them. The younger generation, they can be your greatest asset, but they can also be your greatest threat. Allow them to be an asset. There's a lot of talk today. It's kind of the media likes to put generation against generation. And you see some, some of the older people talk negatively about the younger people, and the younger people talk negatively about the older people. I believe personally, if we work together, we can make a huge impact on the world around us. To our older generations, don't discredit our culture. Learn it. Engage it. To sit around and complain, but to do nothing, is useless and a waste of the days that God has given you. We see this in the life of Caleb at 85 years old. He could have shut it down and said, I'm done. I've done my time. But he said, no. 
He said, I've got more energy, I've got more strength in me today than I did when I was 40. And he kept fighting, he kept serving. To our younger generations, don't pick a future day and say, I'm going to begin serving the Lord then. Meaning, I'm going to wait till I get out of college and then I'm going to start serving the Lord. I just don't have time now. Or, I'm going to wait till my kids get out of high school before I start serving the Lord. It'll never work. That won't happen. Start now. There'll always be something else. There will always be something else that will divide your attention. Start now. Go out and change the world, but do it with a purpose. Stand up for good. Stand against injustice and racism. Stand against inequality. Protect the poor and protect the orphan. But be different. Be gospel people. Be gospel people in the midst of the world around us. That is being strong and courageous. To our younger generations, hold the church accountable. When we become more about bylaws, committees, and policies, and not about the gospel, or seeing the lost people reached, challenge us. Call us out. But don't be angry. Don't leave the church altogether. Stick around. Make us better. Team up with those that are older than you. They have wisdom and experience. You have the passion and the drive. Be prepared to take the baton of church leadership. The church has potential to be a powerful force in our world. And our young people, you have the ability to lead it. So this impact, this change, this difference that, that, that I'm talking about, how do we make it happen? Well, as the great philosopher, the great writer, Michael Jackson once said, he said, if you want to make the world a better place, what? Take a look at yourself and make a change. You see, together, we can be a powerful force. But it starts with us individually saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow what God has called me to do. I am going to be obedient. You see, our God is the same God of Caleb. And we must work every single day to follow what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross when? Daily. And follow me. That's who Caleb was. That's who we long to be. Not about ourselves, but about God. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, Give up yourself, 
and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find Him. And with Him, everything else is thrown in. Denying ourselves, losing ourselves, putting God first, putting Him over our fears and our doubts, looking to Him for strength and courage to do more than we thought we ever could do. Much like the life of Joshua and Caleb. Like Caleb, are we willing to be one of two to do the right thing if the time comes? Church, I ask you this this morning. Are we ready to become a church across the world that is willing to act? As we live in a time when people are running from the church, church membership across denominations and across our country are at all-time lows. People coming to know Jesus Christ are at all-time lows. Are we willing to be a church that will answer the call to go? Are we willing to pick up our mat? Are we willing to drop our nets? Are we willing to leave the well and go tell others, climb the tree, or reach out and touch the cloak. Do you follow me? You know what I meant by that. You So each one of those examples that I just gave came from the Bible. When people were called to act, they did. You see, our heads, it's full of biblical knowledge that, that we learn Sunday when we come into this room or we learn Sundays when we go to Sunday school. It's full, like, like we know the Bible. We are full of knowledge. But we must be willing to act And so as I conclude this morning, I'm reminded of what the psalmist writes in chapter 139. He said, all the days ordained for me were written 
in your book before one of them came to be. Carterville, our days have already been ordained by God. He knows our count. Are we, are we willing to move? Are we willing to act? Are we willing to make our final days count? Now I'm going to ask Chris and the team to, to come forward. And we're going to move into a time of response. And as we respond, I want to encourage you to just think. Think about two things, and you can reflect on them, you can pray over them. One, where is your life right now? It does not matter how old you are, who you are, where is your life right now? Have you checked out? Have you retired? Are you waiting for some future day? before you can begin to serve the Lord, before you can begin to act, before you can go out into our world and, and make a difference for God. So think about that. But then also think about how can the Lord use me? Genuinely, how can the Lord use me? Not just lip service, but God, how can you move me to be a Caleb? Pray with me, please. Father God, we just thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for the life of, of Caleb. God, what a, what a reminder it is. God, that you have, you have called us to act. It doesn't matter who we are, how old we are, God. God, when we see examples like Caleb, God, at 85 years old, he had more energy and more passion and more vigor to serve you than anyone else around him. God, and while some of us may not be 85, God, we pray for that passion, that energy to serve you. God, you have, you have put us in this place right now for a purpose. God, I pray that you use us. God, thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.